Please remember, the information in our podcast could be a trigger for some people. And if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre 24-hour helpline is 1-800-77-8888. Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Cabinet Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Count Me In podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be discussing fear and how it has and continues to play a role in our lives as a result of our abuse. Being abused amplifies the fear that exists in your life, as it does with all negative impacts, the self-hatred, the shame, the social anxiety, everything we experienced was amplified. I think for me, I don't think there's ever been a time when I wasn't afraid. But it's just for some reason or other, lately, I'm becoming very conscious of it. I was watching myself a few weeks ago at the dance class and I was focusing 100% on what she was doing and trying to keep up with that. And I was just thinking, why would I care that much? You know, it's not that I'm going to get into trouble here if I don't do it. Because even watching I was, it reminded me of being a child that you had to do the right thing for fear of being discarded or not loved or so that's what came up for me. So then I started kind of watching myself and I was saying, I'm so rigid because I'm like a pole. It's like I'm stuck in fear and like everything is nearly paralyzed. No natural movement, you know what I mean? I'm not moving with the flow. I feel if you're experiencing that, you're ready to look at what the possible reasons behind it are yeah so i kind of think your the fact that you even have an awareness around it is a good thing i do feel that myself because when i did that i actually started watching myself and i noticed i'm really nervous driving yeah. so i keep cutting out now but like why wouldn't i there's I am, something definitely going on for you because yeah. and when that happens you don't feel secure and yeah. safe and it impacts on everything it just means that something's coming up it's time it's ready and you're able for it. I'm not running from it. I, for some reason or other, I'm now very conscious of it. When I'm in the car, as I said, and I feel really nervous drive. I'm not letting it get on top of me. I'm actually acknowledging it and trying to sit with it and see where is it from. Now, I do keep getting images of the fear that I held as a child that I couldn't acknowledge. Well, the fact you even relate a dance class to your childhood fear. Yeah, it's almost like I see myself as a child, but I'm frozen solid. And it didn't matter what he was doing to me. What mattered to me was I had to be a good girl and I had to be doing the right thing because he loved me. It's almost like I'm a solid block and there's no room for any kind of fluidity. The fact that you're writing about it, meditating about it, very aware of it, my sense is that this is going to dissolve because you're now focusing on it and working on it. And I do believe that once you face it head on, it has no choice but to just disappear because none of it is real. Yeah, I think by me looking at it, it's going to lose the power. It's almost like being able to breathe for the first time. The fear that we grew up with and lived with 24-7 can't just disappear overnight. And I would say that even when you deal with a fear that's emerging, that's coming up at the moment, and you're aware of it in an area of your life, I'd say even when you deal with that, it could be still in some other area that you're holding it. Do you know that it'll show its ugly head again somewhere else? Every little thing you do towards facing it, 
just dissipates it. Fear of facing it is even bigger. That's right. So it keeps you in the trap. Yeah, because it builds and builds and the fear is bigger than the actual problem. Yeah. And it prevents you from dealing with it because the fear has you stuck. I wouldn't even be frightened of the fact that it's coming up. I always feel it's happening for a reason. I'm ready, I'm in a good space. If you're not conscious of it, you can't change it. Awareness alone doesn't shift it. At the same time, you could say, yeah, well, it's not good enough to say, I know I'm very aggressive. That's great now that you're aware of that. But, you know, do something about it if you're aware of it. Timing is everything. Because I might be aware of something and I want to change, but I just don't feel able to right now. My fear would be more on a physical basis. And considering I live in my head, I think that's, that in itself is ironic. Is different. Yeah. My biggest fear is, is dying. I think that's at the back of everything. If I try to do any kind of meditation now, if I try to do the deep breathing, automatically I can feel that numbness coming on, that tingling coming on. And it's the fear of having a panic attack. It's very interesting because in order to live, there's a part that has to die. And that thing, it sounds like an excuse that you're using to stay out of your body. It's what we all do. I've always had a fear that if I really went inside, I would go insane. You're in a process, you have a desire to get free of this feeling. You don't like it, it's not nice. On the path that you're on, the, the amount of work that you've done on yourself, you wouldn't allow yourself to live out the rest of your life like this. I know all that, and it's not that I wouldn't even be aware of it. Because I do manifest physically, I'm afraid I'll manifest it. And it'll be on my deathbed, I might go, oh, now I know what that's about. But I'd be dead. I feel like I haven't lived. I don't believe I've ever really engaged in my life. And my biggest fear would be dying before I get to that. That all stems from the abuse. I don't think I ever would have felt feeling the way you did. I better be good or he won't love me. I don't believe that thought ever entered my head. Yeah, but Paul, that you, isn't weren't, how... you weren't the favourite. <laughs> yeah, like being the favourite puts an awful lot of pressure on <laughs> <laughs> like, Get real there. <laughs> like, I always remember my fear is if I cried, there would be no stopping me. And then people would know. All the time trying to keep a lid on that. Because it was all connected. But I wouldn't have known that. Like, I was the first girl after 10 years. Right. So he did a good number on me. Yeah, he definitely did. And I would have sold my soul for that man because I thought that he was God and he knows the right thing. I felt it was my duty to be a good girl. And to be a good girl meant do whatever doesn't make him angry. Like me crying and whinging all the time and to ask him to stop. Well, that wasn't working. It was only making him more mad. And the reality of it is, it didn't matter what I did, but it gave me a goal, and my goal was to make him happy, to do what he wants so he loves That's a survival technique. Yeah. That's like Stockholm Syndrome, where you align yourself with the perpetrator to, in the hopes they will like you and not hurt you so much. Yeah. So that's a normal human response to trauma, being sexually abused, especially by a parent. That's only a little minute piece, but it actually tells me something about how rigid and frozen I was from a very, very young age. Yeah. I'm kind of little bite-sized pieces. I don't recall ever thinking, I want to be good, I want to do exactly what he wants. But I do know that in school and every other area of my life that involved taking instruction for anything. And you wanted to be good? Yeah. I have to do it right. I would have had to feel I'm, I ha- I'm a good girl. You went above and beyond. You went to the extremes where you didn't just want to do it right, you wanted it to be better than anybody else could do it. I just wanted to be obedient. I didn't want to upset anybody. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted them to know I'm a good person. That was my thinking on it. Joyce's thinking was 
different and yours was different. No, but my motivation would be to stand out as the best person, not as a good person, as the best at whatever yeah, I was yeah, doing. Yeah. And I would say to you, like, even listen to the contradiction that because all of us wanted to stand out in some way, yeah. and if we stood out, we died. Because we also wanted to disappear. Well, our secret we needed to keep, we couldn't let anybody close enough to us because that would uncover the secret. I think a normal human desire or need that we have is to be seen, yeah, to, be, to noticed. be noticed. And that ran contrary to our upbringing to keep a secret and to keep the secret, the fear involved in holding that secret because we knew instinctively that was a life or death secret. It wasn't just, yeah. you know, a little white lie or anything like that. Our whole life was a contradiction. There was always like two sides to everything. When we started doing our writing and looking back at abuse, we were nearly speaking for each other because it was like we were having a singular experience. But the further down the road you go, the more individual we're becoming. It's, it's becoming more evident that we are very different and that we, we were affected and impacted differently and we responded differently. Whereas at the beginning of our talk, and like, it just seemed like, oh yeah, I felt like that too. And yeah, I responded like that too. But it's not like that. It is all unique. My fear is strongly connected with isolation and aloneness. But I know when anything's happening to me, where that fear is coming up, it's always connected with me feeling like, if I die here, nobody's even going to know. Like, there's nobody around me. And I didn't even realise what was triggering her for a long time. What if something happens now and there's nobody you could call on? The level of awareness you have around this issue even is very encouraging because just as with Joyce, she's at her inadvertently bringing this dancing into her life to give her an opportunity to look at her response to it and how it relates back to childhood. You're discussing this problem you have, this fear that you have with great detail indicating you have a good handle on it and there is a need objectively i could stand here and say you kind of need to face that because oh, it's I'm... not as big as you think it is but that's my sense i'm outside i'm not living your life and in your head and your body but i do believe that with your knowledge and awareness you're going to bring some opportunity in your life that will give you put you in the space to face this head on in a gentle way like i have created breaking up from a 20 year relationship. I've absolutely created that aloneness, but there's still a part of me really believes that I'd be dead before I could deal with all this shit. Two things had a huge impact on me. Watching mommy die was one thing, and then watching Sid, the brother-in-law dying last year, I can't believe how much of an impact that had on me. Like every day going up to the hospital, I just thought, oh my God, I don't want to end up like that. And the fear is I'll end up like that and I'll be on my own. And not having a partner is where that comes from. Because it's a belief when you're with somebody, even whatever your relationship is like, you don't feel totally alone. But being gay, having no kids and no partner would bring that all up to the surface for me. I'll just tell you one thing. There's two things you're going to do on your own. One of them is giving birth and yeah, the other is Yeah. It doesn't matter who's there. That's, yeah. They're the things you have to do on your own. But it's interesting now because... It's like me organising this dance and that for some reason or other now, and that wouldn't have been conscious, but for some reason or other it's allowing me to see something that I wasn't aware of before. And the same with you, like by, you know, you're finishing your relationship, setting yourself up in a place that you're absolutely isolated and on yeah. your own. And that means for some reason 
we're now open to look at this. I'm just hoping whatever it is happens fast because I've had enough now. You'll take a breath one day to do a meditation or something and it'll be gone and you won't know where it went or how it went. Like there's nothing to learn. This is something you already know. That's right. It's if you were in a balloon and I had the tiniest little hole and that air is escaping. That's what's happening to you now. It's the same as me. You don't have to learn anything. It is happening. It mightn't happen at the speed you want, but it is actually happening. You have an intention and that's leading the way. And it's like the self-hatred I talked about that I took a breath one day yeah. and it was gone. And only in hindsight, I can say that that was an accumulation of all the hurt in my life. The little bits. One, one after another, you know, joining together to form what I thought was my soul. The fear then compounded it and gave me no access to it. And I couldn't even let anybody else see it because I didn't know what it was. But when it went, it was piece by piece it went. The way it came, it went. What we're on here now is a journey. It's a return journey to loving ourselves. When you think you're genuinely, really, truly believe I'm a good person, I don't think that fear can stay there. It can't live in that right. environment. You know, we've gone so, from yeah, such levels of self-hatred, yeah. you couldn't even imagine it. And it blocked any goodness coming to us. Our lives were damaged so badly by the self-hatred. Even the language was, have to do something. It doesn't work like that. That's all old shit. You don't actually have to do anything. You have an awareness and a willingness that you want this gone. That's all you have to do. Not that you have to sit down and work out a solution to this problem. It's mm. going to happen. Do you not have fear in your life? I do have fear in my life. I know. No, I know. just you did all the way through that sound of cancer that you have. Because I have. Because I, I have, um, I have overcome a lot of fear, but I know at my core, like my default is still alive and kicking in a crisis. And I know, for example, if I had to go looking for a job tomorrow, straight back into I'm no good. I can't do anything. I've no qualifications. What could I do? Sure, I'd only get paid pittance. I'd go straight back to that belief that I held all my life. Because self-hatred is a killer. So I absolutely have fear. I would say I have overcome a lot of fear. I'm not bullshitting when I'm responding to you the way I no, am. No. Because I absolutely feel I'm after going through it. I know what I'm talking about from my perspective. But I know I, I absolutely still have fear. And I have frustrations over over the fear yeah like i, I feel annoyed with myself but like fear is healthy fear is necessary yeah and fear is a good thing because it can drive you it can save your life so you know it's not that you'd be distant fear but the fear on the level that we have it is from an abusive background it's disabling like yeah. and when it it's paralyzing yes yeah. and when it prevents you from living a life from pursuing anything out of the belief that you're no good no that's not healthy even that fear of not being good enough, having nothing to bring to the table, uh, I've nothing here to offer so I won't bother. Now you're talking about fear and self-judgment. It's when they all combine all these things, because we all have remnants of everything, yeah, no matter yeah. what we got rid of. It's when they combine, that's where it grows and that's what makes you believe you have something bigger here to deal with. When yeah. the reality is, the fear is only stopping. Because I love your analogy of the pit in your stomach, that yeah. there was no reaching and nobody even saw it yeah and then all of a sudden it was gone and you had no idea yeah. where it went we did all that counseling and i remember coming out going that's great now you know it's yeah, great it that i'm after doing it but nobody has even seen the problem yet yeah and i couldn't help them because i didn't know how to access it i didn't know what it was 
the whole process that we were sold when you went in there was you learn the stuff it'll be painful and then you integrate it and it's gone we had no instructions and no clue as to how or even what integration was what's that going to look like how do you do it there was nothing with that and in the writing of our book we integrated integration to me and i could be wrong but it's like oprah says you get that aha aha moment the penny drops Something you've, it's, you're saying that you've known forever, but all of a sudden, you know it. You accept as part of you. That's integration. So the awareness of it, the doing of it, the reading yourself of it, is all of a sudden, it is, it's who you are. It's part of your makeup. That to me is integration. It's actually taking something on board and yeah. it is part yeah, of you. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's moving from awareness because you can have information about something. But experiencing it and feeling it is completely different. You might have all of the knowledge of how to put together a wardrobe, but until you actually do it, yeah. you, you know, that's just information. And we were left with just information, with lots of it. And we hadn't physically taken it on. I did with therapy we're doing exactly what I would do when I go and do a course. I'd come out with straight A's because that's the way I work. But I've learned it on a head level. I've absolutely no emotional connection to what I just heard. But I, I just remember the fear was just crippling as a child. For me, it's where my mask came from that I wanted to portray into the world. And it was to absolutely counteract the fear that I was feeling. I didn't want other people to be able to see that because I felt that put me as a target. So I had this mask whereby I looked happy all the time. I didn't want anybody to know that I was frightened all the time. But I think also you're not just hiding it from other people, you're trying to hide it from yourself. Oh yeah. The yeah. hiding it from yourself is what causes the damage, yeah. not the hiding it from other people. Yeah. Because you've done such a good job, you no longer recognise it as a coping mechanism. Yeah, and yeah. certainly at the stage that you develop it, you're not conscious of it. It automatically yeah. happens. Yeah. It's not something that you sit down and decide to do. No, it's a way of surviving. And you yeah. see, it's for that reason you need help. You need support from external sources because you can't see it. You need that mirror. You need that somebody who's going to challenge it because you've already accepted it as a belief pattern, as this is who I am. Yeah. Well, like even, even when I was talking about my default of I'm no good, I can't do anything. But look at everything that we've tried to do. We've succeeded at and done well. Which points out the contradiction, like. That's what I'm saying. So all, even though all of your actions in life are probably telling you one story, the fear prevented us from even owning our successes because we didn't believe it. On a, on a real tangible level, anything we did, we succeeded at. But it was no good to us because there we had this belief, I'm no good, I don't matter. I think back as well also on going and getting our tarot cards read or going to psychics and that. And I think... Now, part of that for me would have been this desire that somebody with these uh, special powers were able to see what my problem was. Yeah. Because I didn't know what it was. I thought that somebody else could help me. I never thought I could help me. Yeah. I, my whole life, I was like, on the inside, I was like a lost child crying out for somebody to come and save me and give me the answers and show me the way and, well, you know, and do the work. The message we received all our lives was that we could do nothing. We could do anything we wanted, providing he backed us up. Yeah. But if his backup wasn't there, we couldn't succeed at anything. Yeah. We didn't question that because it was our experience. Yeah. 
He made sure there was nothing you could do. It's all intertwined, it's all wrapped up together that it's very difficult to say, there you go, there's fear, there's lack of confidence, I'm going to deal with that and then I'm going to deal with that because they're so intertwined. Yes. Everything you look at is wrapped up in something else. That's what makes it feel overwhelming. The main thing is to become conscious of it. That it doesn't matter what you're feeling. If you just acknowledge what you're feeling, and even if that's all you did, and then park it, it just allows you to put title on it. It does share the responsibility because up to now, all that responsibility is yours and you're blaming and owning and everything. Whereas if you acknowledge it, and you acknowledge I'm afraid, like I did, and then don't feel you have to run out, fix everything, I have to do this or I'm never, it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, and I think like fear is huge in your life for victims of sexual abuse. I think you'll never overcome it because it's so big. But just as we've been discussing, the fear grew as you did and it can be dismantled piece by piece. That It doesn't have to be tackled all at once. Understand that fear isn't real. It's a gift you were given by your abuser. And it grew as you did. The only thing that's real, to sound really sappy, is love. That is the only thing that's real. The fear is not real, but it feels it. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we've shared will resonate with you and bring you to a place where you can have compassion for yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you respond to the abuse, it was normal. We're hopeful and optimistic that those in a position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. You've been listening to the Kavanagh Sisters podcast. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email the Kavanagh Sisters at gmail.com. We'd like to leave you with a thought for the day. There are two main emotions in life, love and fear. Most of our lives consist of a battle between the two. If you're a victim of childhood sexual abuse, fear, is the predominant emotion. The good news is you're made of love and with the introduction of a little self-love, kindness and compassion, the fear loses its power and life gets better.